Oh, Father, we thank thee for this. And as we now look into your word, Father, we would pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would bless us together, that we may go out rejoicing. And having a more fervent testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those which would like to be here and which couldn't make it for various reasons. And Father, we think especially on dear Mrs. Walker. Father, that this very moment you would touch her body and be very close to her comfort her heart, ease the pains, and may she soon be back, O oh, Father, we commit her unto thee. And so, Lord, we thank thee for this wonderful time which we now can have together looking into the word of God and starting this glorious Lord's day with thee. May it be a wonderful day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for me, it is a special joy to be here this morning, passing on the Word of God, the living Word of God. For it's only by God's grace that I am here. It's always by God's grace, you know, that we are around. But I feel that way, especially this morning. And by way of testimony and to the glory of God, I would like and I feel like to tell you what had happened to me about two and a half weeks ago on Wednesday when I had a complete breakdown in my office. When I, I got up in the morning and my whole sight was numb and I couldn't hear and I felt terrible and I shouldn't have gone into New York at all but I did it and uh, then it came over me and I broke down and uh, when they called the doctor he ordered me by ambulance into Roosevelt Hospital and I was so sure during that time that the Lord was going to take me home and what I want to tell you is that the Lord is so marvelous and that I, at that time that I experienced the closeness of the Lord and his peace as no one can express it as I never had experienced it before, it was a most wonderful experience. Although I was so terribly weak that I couldn't speak nor could lift any uh, member of my body, uh, I was conscious all the time. And I remember that the doctor kept on saying, he said, don't worry, you won't die, you won't die. And I wasn't worrying at all, and I wanted so badly to tell him he shouldn't worry about me. And I kept on saying in my heart, Lord, how wonderful your word is. How true your word is. And uh, I can't express it what it was, and I thought especially upon Psalm 23, where I said, even if you have to go through the valley of death, I will be with thee. And at that very moment, I didn't worry about a thing. And honestly, not even about my family. I have still small children. And at that moment, I didn't worry about them. But the peace of the Lord filled my heart. And it is a glorious experience. And some of you have gone through this. 
and it is hard to express. But it has opened now the way and the doors for wonderful testimonies to those which have seen me when they carried me out and felt, well, he will never come back. And the Lord has been wonderful and he has been great. As I was there for hours in the emergency room and treating me, I felt slowly my strength coming back. And then I started to worry a little bit about my family and about Elizabeth. And then I knew for sure that the Lord would bring me through. And after about four hours, I walked out there, weak and a little bit groggy, but I could walk. I have gone through many tests in the New York hospital, and uh, I praise the Lord again that they didn't find anything seriously wrong. I only have to watch it a little bit that it uh, will not happen again. I have many times faced death. I don't want to go into details, especially in a war. And I was about 16, 17 years old. But at those times, I would have died in open rebellion against God. Remembering uh, one occasion where I even shook my fists against God because he allowed it. Terrible killing and I couldn't make it all out why was this going on but the Lord was gracious and he was merciful although they died beside me and I have given hands for the wounded and buried them those which died he didn't take me he was gracious and wonderful with me now if I would have died I would have been with the Lord. That is a great difference. And this is so wonderful. And I gave this testimony for another reason this morning because it is so closely related to our lessons this morning. Our study is in Philippians. Philippians is the third chapter. If you want to turn to it, there we have Paul's great testimony wonderful testimony he says in Philippians 3 8 I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done that I may win Christ marvelous testimony in verse 14 in our portion he says I press towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He also speaks about those Christians which are carnally minded, those nominal Christians, those which mind earthly things. He speaks about those. And there are many of them. But we are citizens of the heavenly homeland he speaks about this and he closes that chapter with this. This is a great goal. And uh, the Lord wants us to do some, I believe with all my heart, some revaluation of our lives. What are the real values in life? Paul's goals are quite clear. 
He has a great desire to know Jesus, to have fellowship with him, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. He speaks about the fellowship of his suffering because there is a heavenly home in front of us and it is in sight. And here we come to our theme for this morning, all of life for Christ. All of life, of our life, for Christ. Now let's turn to Philippians, the third chapter. And maybe let's read, uh, let me see, can't maybe read it all, would be too, too much. But let's read from, uh, from verse 7, yeah, maybe to verse 16. Let's read from verse 7 to verse 16, and let's read together. Do we all have it? But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the face of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are, <coughs> which are before. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything he be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. That's fine. So here we see the great desire of Paul to know Jesus. You know, before, if you read this whole chapter, you will see that Paul speaks about the great merits which he has and which he possesses and possessed as an Hebrew. He said, I am from Israel. And this was really something to be proud of. Because Abraham, he also had other son, another son. And from Abraham there come the Ishmaelites, there come the Edomites. But he, Paul, was from Israel. And he said, I am from Israel, and I am a, a descendant of Jacob. And I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, the beloved son of Jacob, the youngest one. The tribe of Benjamin, 
was the only one who stood faithful to God when this great separation took place under King Rehoboam. Benjamin was the tribe who gave the first king to Israel. And Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, they were the most orthodox defendants and expounders of the law. Although at Paul's day, they made the law void by all their precepts, by all, by all their oral traditions, and those things which they had added to the law. And Paul was a man educated by the greatest scholar at his time, Gamaliel. Paul was a brilliant and a bright man, full of zeal for Judaism. He believed with all his heart that the Hebrew faith was the most perfect and the final one on earth. And for him, the Christians were the traitors, the traitors of the law of Judaism, the traitors of the Old Testament. And I believe that he that Paul at his time was probably the most zealous one in exterminating the Christians. He was the one who brought the Christians before the courts. He had one goal, to wipe them out, to wipe them off the face of the earth. He was the one who witnessed the execution of the Christians which were stoned to death, which were put to death. And he even believed that he was doing God's work. He was a strict observer of the law of Moses, and he could say, as you see in verse 6, as far as the law is concerned, I was blameless. I was blameless. But you know what happened in the life of Paul. He had this great encounter with Jesus Christ and he has given his heart to Jesus. He's a man who had reevaluated his life and he had and he got a new heart of love from God. And then how much does his life change? He becomes a tireless traveler for the Lord Jesus Christ on food. Mile after mile, in hunger, in thirst, in heat, in cold, he travels for his beloved Savior. He is a tireless preacher, sometimes till deep into night. He preaches, and from the Old Testament, he proves to many rabbis, to many leaders of Judaism in their synagogues, he proves to them that it can't be anyone else, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is a great prayer warrior who spends many nights in prayer with many tears for those beloved Christians which he had the privilege to bring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his, his, his testimony, wherever he went, 
churches came into existence. And here we come to his great testimony in verse 8. Really something to read over and over again. He said, Undoubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. What a testimony. He counted it all but loss. You know, we spoke about this four weeks ago. That Paul was a man who had counted the cost in following the Lord Jesus Christ something which we all must do. At several occasions, and I believe in many more actually, but in several occasions recorded in the Bible, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And in Luke 14, the great discourse on discipleship, Jesus said, and he that taketh not his cross and followers after me is not worthy of me. He cannot be my disciple. This is a strong word. But he is a man who has the perfect right to speak like this because of the tremendous price he's paid for our redemption. Do we count the cost? Paul is a man who has not to be admonished along those lines. He had made up his mind. The new life in Jesus Christ's mind meant everything to him. The eternal life was such a tremendous possession for him by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which kept him going day by day and let him go through all the hardships. And this righteousness which comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gladly gave all his merits up which he had concerning the law. He gave it all up. And for many people it seems to be such a hard thing to do, which comes from a Catholic faith or from other faiths. Brought up in, in something and this is the hardest thing to do. If you have learned something wrong to give this up later, it is a hard thing to do. It's much easier to learn it right from the beginning, to grow up with the right thing. But Paul, he gave it all up. He gladly gave it up. He let it go. And he had one desire that I may have, that I may know him, that I may have the fellowship with him. And this is the most natural thing. If we love Jesus and we have only but one desire, to have fellowship with him and to know him better. Remember pastor and it always rings in my ear. How many times did he say, are you in love with Christ? Are you really in love with Christ? Doesn't he speak like this many times? It's the most natural thing. I remember when I was engaged and uh, Elizabeth uh, was uh, uh, living in another place and where I worked and uh, I traveled every Saturday by train for two and a half hours to get to her and I could hardly wait for Saturday. Of course, 
longing for that fellowship, counting the hours sometimes, you know, to get away and to, to get to her. Not always talking, just holding hands and having fellowship is a great thing. Being in love, it's wonderful. It is from the Lord. And then Paul speaks about knowing the power of his resurrection. What does he mean? You know, it is through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that our salvation becomes secure, that it becomes certain. It is a great message which we have to take into our hearts day by day that Jesus lives. That Jesus lives that he lives right now, that he lives in us, that he lives in our hearts, that he works through us. This is the power of his resurrection, that Jesus who is alive, who is resurrected, that he works through us and he can do the very same things which he did when he was on earth. Tremendous thing when you think about this. He does his job today through us. Jesus is alive. And Jesus is able. And he is not only able, he is willing to work through us and express his love to a dying world. Through us. St. Paul speaks about the fellowship of his suffering. Suffering is a word which you find in the New Testament again and again. And yet a word which is not understand and a word we don't like to hear about. Why? If we have fellowship with Jesus, if we really love him, if we have the kind of a character like the disciples had, then we will rejoice in suffering, something which the world will not understand, nor can understand. I just want to remind you of this uh, incident where the apostles were dragged before the court and were beaten up. You find it in Acts 5. And it says there that, and that they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I want to remind you how this uh, Philippian church came into existence. Remember there was that man in the dream talking to Paul from Macedonia and come over and help us. And Paul believing that God was calling left everything behind it, was at once willing the next day to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he came to this important city, Philippi. And they went to the riverside where some faithful women, women were together praying. And you know how Lydia got saved and her household, and how they were baptized. But soon there were persecution, and there was a beating, and the prison was waiting for them. 
And remember that Paul and Silas was put in the blocks of feet, that they were thrown into the inner prison. And then the scripture says that Paul and Silas, that they were praying about midnight. That's it. In their prayers, there was something else. Probably they prayed for deliverance too. But I believe with all my heart, not so much even for deliverance. They knew that they were in God's hands. They probably expected death at any, uh, at any time. But they were praise in their hearts. This is what the scripture says. They were praying and praising God. There's a difference. Wonderful. And all the prisoners heard it. And you know how the prison doors were opened, the earthquake was there. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to that keeper of the prison. And we hear this famous uh, cry, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you and your house will be saved. And then they preached the word of God, not only to him, to his whole household. And they all believed and they all were baptized. And added to the church, to Lydia and her household, and the little church came into existence. The church, a church was born. They are suffering. In Matthew 5, 11, 12, Jesus says to his disciples, he said, Blessed are he when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And listen what he says, rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. This is a marvelous thing. The fellowship of his suffering. Not everyone can take it. Only those which the Lord Jesus really loves, he can use. And you know that I believe with all my heart, although that the past has been a tremendous blessing for us, for Elizabeth, myself, my family, in those past years where we have been here, I believe that he even has been a greater blessing while he while the Lord put him aside. Might be part of the reason, I don't know. But to many people, he is even a greater blessing. Now, when he speaks just a few words, praising God and giving that testimony, isn't this great? This wonderful? And here is something which we might not fully understand, but there is joy being joined together in Jesus. See, whatever happens to us, happens to Jesus. If you really understand this concept of being in Christ, He in us and we in Him, so what can actually happen to us? Let me tell you that there is a great and vast difference between the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the suffering and death of any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you the difference in a moment. And the Lord Jesus 
died for our sins and was made sin for us, he was alone. The Father in heaven had forsaken him and this was for him harder to take than the physical suffering. Believe me. But when we get into a situation where we think the Lord is calling us home, the Lord Jesus is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And especially when it comes to a point like this, you know, in our lives, where we think we are going home to be with the Lord. The Lord, how real your word is. How wonderful your word is. And so you have to go through the valley of death. I will be with thee. This is a marvelous thing. And here is the difference between the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he suffered for us and the suffering and dying of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is great, wonderful. Sing a little bit about this. And let's praise the Lord for his goodness and his love. We are not alone. It is a terrible thing to be alone, to suffer and be alone. But we have him, and this is something which only the believer can experience this wonderful closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ. And only the one who walks closely with the Lord Jesus. You know, the Christians in Germany, I have heard it so many times among believers, when someone has died, you know, a real belief in the Lord and one who walks with the Lord, they say, and this is a saying, you know, as he lived, so he died. And this is marvelous. And this is true. And this has nothing to do how violent, how terrible your physical death might be. You know, beaten to death, stoned to death. has nothing to do with this. The peace of the Lord is in us. Think of Stephen when, he st when they stoned him. Stoning is a terrible death. And yet the Lord Jesus was with him in a wonderful way. And his heart was full of peace, not only of peace, of love. To those which stoned him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He prayed for their souls, that they also may came to know the Lord Jesus. And eternity will show what this might have done that very moment to some of those which stoned him in their later years. Well, time is going on, and there is so much in the Word of God. There, uh, Paul speaks in verse 11 about the growth in him. You know, if you look at verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, maybe we might think, you know, as we just superficially read over those words, that he is speaking about salvation, of something which is going to happen in the future. He speaks about the resurrection of the dead, that he may attain it. But this is not at all the case. 
He has no uncertainty concerning salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation here. Nor is Paul speaking about a future event if he speaks here about resurrection. But rather he speaks in great humility, speaking about the present process of growth for the Christian. Coming alive in the Lord Jesus Christ among the dead. This is what he means if you really look into this word. See, there are only two groups in this world. Those which have been made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him and those which are dead in trespasses and sin. And this was this Paul speaking about. Coming alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a day-by-day process. This is a day-by-day walk. He is pressing towards the mark. We haven't made it yet. Have we been uh, growing in the Lord? Are we closer with Him uh, today than a week ago, or a month ago, or a year ago, or ten years ago? Oh, we have failed many times. We fail many times. The Lord has forgiven us. And now Paul says, So I forget those things which are behind. And I'm working on it. As Pastor says so many times, this isn't great to wake up in the morning. A new day, new opportunity to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. To see what he can do through you. Wonderful. That we should be prepared. In the evening we might have failed in quite a few things. We confess them before him. And in his goodness he forgives us. And in the morning we start anew, another day, a close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then just let me end with uh, verse 20, because this is the great goal of uh, any Christian endeavor. Of Paul here, he speaks about our citizenship. For our conversation is in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven. You know, we just were celebrating Christmas and it's marvelous to think about his coming into the world. But how different will his second coming be when he will be Lord of Lords and King of Kings? He is either our judge or he is our Savior. For many people he will be the judge but we know by ourselves what he is. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is a great thing. And I remember, and I have been greatly blessed under those great sermons of pastor when he spoke on the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, Revelation 9, where it says, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want to close with this little testimony. For the first time, I have been in the White House uh, Thursday a week ago, where I had to work on a White House piano. And, uh, you know, it was a special day because Prime Minister Heath was there. And uh, uh, it was a coming and going, many senators and uh, advisors running upstairs, you know, and taking part in this talk. 
And then the, and everybody's so friendly, a wonderful experience. I believe uh, America is the greatest uh, nation on earth. Believe me, I've worked for one, one day in the Russian embassy, a whole day I worked there. It's a different, like, difference like day and night. Everybody's so friendly. Everybody's stopping by and talking to you. If it was a senator or an advisor or who it was, it was a wonderful experience, really. And even the White House police, you know, this nice, clean-cut young man of America, tremendous and so friendly. I'm really, I'm so happy. And uh, uh, it was a great blessing, I tell you. But then came the chief butler. And, you know, I've never met him, a Negro fellow, who, old man who already served under Roosevelt, wonderful man, you know, and uh, he invited us and he said, would you like to see the setting of the state dinner for tonight? And it was marvelous, you know, so he brought us to the dining room. Oh, what a decoration. Beautiful. 114 guests were going to be there, you know, so it's about half a dozen sirs from England, you know, with Prime Minister he's and he told us here, here sitting Mr. Nixon, says Mrs. Nixon, there's a Prime Minister and says Sir Douglas Hume, and there is uh, Westmoreland sitting with his wife, you know, and everyone there kissing and Roger and, you know, you go down the line, terrific, you know, and then this a uh, beautiful setting and golden uh, uh, flatware, golden flatware, and then the flower decoration, it was tremendous. But in my heart, I had to think about the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. Tremendous thing. It's a great thing to see the setting of a state dinner, you know, and it was one of the greatest affairs in this season in the White House, you know, to, of the greatest nation of the world. But to think that you are invited to come and take part in this marriage supper of the Lamb. Everyone who believes, no matter, you know, where you work, who you are, if you are black or white, if you're rich or poor, no matter, has nothing to do with it. If you are a sir, who you are, if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus says, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this blessed, that's great. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now we thank you so much for these few precious thoughts which you have given us concerning this wonderful portion of Scripture this morning, Lord. Seal it and bless it to our hearts and be with us throughout the day. In Jesus' name, Amen.